I think military members are excellent business people um, because we get put into situations in the military that we have no idea how to do. And you just got to go figure it out. And especially in leadership roles, like throughout my 20 years of military service, every time I moved to a new job, every time I moved to a new duty station, I was immediately in charge of people. But I was in charge of people that knew way more about that job than I did. Like I was in charge of people who were fixing engines on helicopters. I knew kind of how an, an engine worked, but I didn't know how to fix an engine. Right. Uh, and so, but I was supposed to lead those guys in fixing engines. And so throughout your military career, like you are going to be put in situations where you don't know how to do what you're supposed to be doing. And, and you just figure it out. You adapt, you overcome, you flex, uh, you make those decisions, whether right or wrong, but you're going to make it anyways and stick to it. That's great for business. Welcome to the Building Excellence Podcast. I'm your host, Bailey Miles. The Building Excellence Podcast is all about sharing inspiring stories from some of the most successful athletes, coaches, business minds, and thought leaders to help you build excellence in your life, leadership, and legacy. We hope this show provides you with tremendous value. If you find the show impactful, please share with a friend and on social media, as well as subscribe and leave us a review on iTunes. We would greatly appreciate it. Thanks. Now let's get to the show and start building excellence in your life, leadership, and legacy. Stu Grazier is a retired Navy pilot and co-founder of Storehouse 310. As a retired Naval officer with 20 years of military experience, Stu spent time flying the MH-60 Sierra Nighthawk helicopter and later the C-40. He also spent time in leadership overseeing hundreds of people. Throughout his time in the military, Stu started his own entrepreneurship journey through investing in real estate. This ultimately led him and his co-founder David to start Storehouse 310, Storehouse 310 Ventures, Storehouse 310 Capital, Storehouse 310 Partners, and the Storehouse 310 Mastermind. On the show, Sue dives into his own story of growing up, playing baseball at the Naval Academy, graduating flight school as number one in his class, service, learning from others, real estate, accountability, pivoting, purpose, leadership, failure, faith, family, and much more. For more on Stu and Storehouse 310, check out storehouse310.com. Enjoy the show. Everyone, welcome to the Building Excellence Podcast. Today, I have a special guest, Stu Grazier with me. Stu, thanks for being here. Bailey, thanks, man. I'm excited about this. I appreciate you uh, inviting me to come on. Um, yeah, I'm humbled by it. Honestly, you've had some awesome guests and uh, really excited about having this conversation. Well, I appreciate it. We're excited to have you here. And even more for the people that will be watching, you have a great uh, search, search selection today. We're, we're like almost matching with the with the, we didn't uh, even finals. We didn't even plan for that. That's pretty, that's pretty awesome, man. <laughs> that's awesome. Well, if you wouldn't mind, kind of dive into your story and what life was like growing up for you and just give our, our listeners some background on you. Yeah, thanks, man. Um, so I was uh, I was born and raised in Texas, um, pr proud Texan. Um, but uh, I, I was born in Dallas and uh, grew up there. Um, my mom and father divorced when I was five years old. So um, until I was 12 years old, I, I was kind of raised in uh, kind of a, a single parent household. Uh, I have a younger sister. She's two years younger. Uh, and then we moved to uh, just a small town in central Texas once my mom remarried and I ended up um, going to a, a small high school in, in central Texas. Um, and from there, I went to uh, the Naval Academy. Uh, I did four years at the Naval Academy. I, I played uh, I played college baseball there at the Naval Academy um, and then decided to go pilot. It got my, uh, got my wings and um, flew uh, helicopters for 10 years and then flew um, Boeing 737s for 
about three years and finished up kind of on some staff tours and um, retired at 20 years of service just last June. Um, what else? I'm married uh, to my beautiful bride, Crystal. She's um, of almost 15 years now, and I got two kiddos, an eight-year-old daughter and a, and a five-year-old son. Awesome. So that's that's my life in a nutshell. <laughs> yeah, and that's a nutshell. There's a lot in that nutshell. Yeah. Yeah. So going back to kind of your upbringing, growing up, I mean, you talked about playing college, college baseball. So were sports important to you, and what extracurricular activities were you doing growing up? Yeah, sports were a big part of my life uh, for both uh, myself and my sister, um, and uh at first it was, it was tennis. Actually. Okay. Uh, I, I started playing tennis when I was pretty young in Dallas, uh, and got really into it. Um, I was, I was pretty good. I was, um, ranked at the state level, um, for my, for my age bracket and kind of heading that towards direction of, of, you know, playing, you know, pro, uh, at, at some point if I was going to continue. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I mean, it was super early morning wake-ups going and practicing, uh, before school, going to school, coming right back after school, continuing to, to practice. And I did that up through, um, I guess probably eighth grade, um, freshman in high school was when I kind of stopped playing. Um, and there's a story behind that too, but, but yeah, sports were pretty important. My sister was a gymnast, uh, she, and same thing, like, uh, like going Olympic level, uh, you know, early mornings after, after school. So like my mom as a single mom was amazing. Like she would just, she was just running ragged. Like she'd be taking us everywhere. Like, and that's basically what she was as a, as a chauffeur for, for her two kids to, to sports and to school. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you touched on your mom. Um, when you're looking back and kind of thinking back through those things, what are some, some qualities and some characteristics about your mom that you really admire fondly as you look back and appreciate? Uh, yeah, man. I mean, I, I think, um, the biggest thing that I got from my mom was just her amazing, her, her giving heart. Um, she, she gave everything like she would give the shirt off of her back. Um, and you know, giving is incredibly important to me. Um, you know, contribution to the world is very important to me. And I, and I'm hundred percent know that I got that from my mom. Um, she was almost like a giver to her detriment. Um, you know, she would give so much to other people that she didn't really give to herself. And I've, I've realized, and I've seen that a little bit in in myself as well. And so I've been trying to dial that back a little bit. (laughs) Um, so yeah, giving, uh, was huge, uh, as a trait uh, that I got from her. Mm -hmm. And, and kind of diving in your story there too, you talked about your parents divorcing at a young age. Was that something you kind of realized when you're around it or did you just kind of grow up and, that was kind of what you're around. So you didn't really think too much of it. Did it affect you at all? Uh, I think it's affected me more now uh, than, than it did at the time. Um, I think, you know, as a young kid, you kind of just were like, all right, this is it, you know, going to live life. What, what has been dealt to me. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, But as you kind of grow up, you start to see uh, how that impacted you, you know, both positively and negatively. Um, so yeah, my, my dad, uh, wasn't around a ton. He actually ended up, um, moving to a different state. He ended up moving to uh, New Mexico, starting a life out there. He got remarried. Um, and, uh, we would see him like, you know, we, the, uh, I, I we stayed with my mom. So, um, I, we would go like for a month in the summertime and we'd go for like a week at Christmas or something like that and see him. Um, but you know, the normal day-to-day interactions, you know, it was just with my mom and until my mom remarried when I was uh, in middle school, when I was, I think 12 and, um, and then we moved and kind of started life over with, with a stepdad. So, um, and my stepdad was awesome. Like, you know, he kind of became the father figure for me. 
Um, but he was quite a bit older uh, than my mom. He had already had kids himself. And so he was, you know, he had kind of already been through the whole cycle of having kids. And so he wasn't, uh, I guess, as excited, you know, I, I loved him and he was great, but he wasn't as like excited about like being the present dad, you know, that, that like, I think you should have in your life. Uh, so there was still a lot missing there um, in my life as having that, you know, present father figure mm -hmm. uh, there for me. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, that's interesting because that happened, you know, my parents wound up divorcing and it's interesting too, because there's a couple different ways you can take it where you can learn from maybe the things that you did have, or maybe even that you didn't have, and you can be that example for your kids as well. So I think that's a, a powerful thing that I'm sure we'll, we'll dive into as we talk more later on about that. Yeah. So yeah, for sure, man. Within your story in a nutshell, you kind of talked about your trajectory that you went on to play baseball at the Naval Academy. Then you go become a pilot and all these things that you're doing, they're not easy. I mean, it's a select, select group of people that get have the opportunity and the ability to go do those things. So did you grow up with this mindset that whatever I'm going to do, I'm going to, I'm going to do to my, the best of my ability and really focus in on that? Or what did that look like even from just a young age of being disciplined and hard work? And what was that like? Because it's not easy to get to the Naval Academy for school and then also yeah. to play college sports. Yeah. Yeah, man. I mean, you know, some other traits that I think I, that I know I got from my parents was, was just that, just the hard work and, and the discipline. Um, you know, it was just, it wasn't anything like spectacular. It was just, they just went to work, man. Like they just got up and like went at it and, and, you know, didn't quit until like they passed out, you know, on the couch when they were so exhausted. Um, and, and I have that exact trait in me, you know, I just, I just learned from a very young age, um, one through sports. And then also, you know, through all my coaches that I had, you know, besides tennis, I, I played soccer, I played baseball, uh, in high school, I played football and baseball. Um, and just having those, having those, you know, uh, coaches, mentors, parents, uh, that just were always pushing you to strive for the best and to work hard and, and to have that discipline, uh, was, was huge for me. It was absolutely huge for me. Um, and you know, I, I have, uh, a, a trait, you know, I, I don't know if you've ever done like the, the strengths finder test, yeah. but the strengths finder test for me, the number one thing that I have, uh, for strength is, uh, achiever. Like I have to achieve. Yeah. It's just a internal thing that's built like God made me that way. Right. Um, and so I'm a big like engineer checklist kind of guy. Like I, I'll, I'll put a checklist down and mark it off, even though I did it in the past, you know, kind of guy. <laughs> uh, and, and so like for me, you know, it's just checklist achieving, accomplishing. It's just like, it, it's motivating to me and just kept me going, you know, through everything. Yeah, that's great. I'm the same way. Well, obviously too, you were great at sports, but also you worked very hard in the classroom because you can't have one without the other going to the Naval Academy. How did you wind up at the Naval Academy and were you looking elsewhere and then talk about the the process of getting there? Yeah. You remember the movie Top Gun? Uh -huh. Yeah. That's <laughs> what got me the Naval Academy. Okay. Uh, so, I mean, seriously, seriously, that was a big motivator for me. Uh, but I had, a, I had a friend um, that I grew up with and his older brother went to the Naval Academy um, and they, they typically play SMU uh, in football every year. And they had, they were playing them in Dallas at home and uh, he invited me, their family invited me to come watch the game with them. And I think I was probably 10, 11 years old. And uh, there was a flyover, you know, F-18s flying over and there was a march on and like there was a tailgater. And I was like, I, I was all in, man, like <laughs> loved every piece of it. And then my stepdad at the time, um, my mom and stepdad were newly married. So I guess it was probably like when I was 12. Um he he uh he was a district attorney. So he was kind of like in the in the 
not not necessarily government world, but like you know city work. Um, sure. And and he, <laughs> I know now, but like he knew that that was a free education. So like he was like, yeah, Naval Academy, let's go. <laughs> and he was a Marine, so you know he he was he was a prior prior service. Um, so he was all about it. And so like he he was encouraging me and pushing me and like you know giving me all this like hey you got to work hard in school you got to get good grades you got to do all these things and so at that young age um, I was all in man you know between between just experiencing that that one football game and then like Top Gun and thinking that was the coolest thing to do um, that's what got me in so uh, with all those other motivators and just the discipline that I've already had um, you know it pushed me uh, really hard to to work hard and, and do all that stuff that was required to get into the Naval Academy. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And you talked about kind of that strength finders being an achiever and having checklists, like it fits perfectly to kind of see how once you have a goal to set out and go accomplish it, that's what you're working towards all throughout high school. Yeah. So you get to the sure. Naval Academy. What did it look like? Did you know you wanted to be a pilot? You were playing baseball. So we always talk a little bit about the transition from just regular like high school into college. That's a transition for most people. But yeah. when you're playing sports, you're adding something to it. When you're at the Naval Academy, that adds a whole different element as well to, to the college experience. So did you already have like a goal in mind when you graduated that you wanted to be a, a pilot? I did, man. Yeah. I mean, I, I went to the Naval Academy knowing that I wanted to be a pilot. You know, again, Top top Gun, okay. you know, that, that movie got me. Uh, I thought I wanted to be a jet pilot. I ended up being a helicopter pilot uh, once I got to flight school. But, but yeah, man, I, I knew I wanted to be a pilot. I knew that was uh, in and itself competitive because there was, you know, there's only a certain number of slots uh, to get pilot. Um, so, you know, even at the Naval Academy, that, that, you know, continuous, uh, idea of, of working hard and trying to get, you know, the best grades I could, um, playing college sports, uh, was challenging for sure. Um, you know, at the college level, it, it becomes like almost another job. Um, and to me, it started to become not a whole lot of fun, uh, because, um, of it being just like a job, so sure. to speak. Uh, and then on the challenge of, of the Naval Academy, all, all the classes and the additional military stuff that we had to do as well was, was uh, a lot. I ended up getting hurt really bad. Um, playing, playing baseball. I, uh, I was, I played second base in baseball and I was covering first base on a bunt and the pitcher threw it down low and I went to like go catch it. And the runner, I uh, was running in and his knee hit me right in the eye socket oh, and it completely fractured my, my eye socket. And I had to go, I have emergency third surgery. And so I have metal plates all in my, uh, like above my eye and like below my eye and my socket there. Um, I was, I was, I was devastated, man. Cause I thought, I thought that that was, that was going to like take me away from flying. Yeah. The um, eyesight's there was, there a big was, deal. Eyesight's a big deal. And there was a chance that, uh, I would have had some eyesight issues and I thank the Lord I didn't. Um, and it didn't impact me in a way that would keep me from flying. So, um, but yeah, that was, that was my, uh, I guess it was my sophomore year of, of college. I tried to come back from it and I just wasn't the same, uh, baseball player after that. And so I ended up, um, uh, stopping playing and, um, just focused on, on school for the rest of my time. Yeah. Well, and diving into that, uh, real quickly, what was your, your mindset? Because we all go through different situations that are challenging and that, you know, sometimes it's easy for us to get caught up in our identity as, I'm a baseball player or I'm a pilot or I'm in the military and then, or I'm a, a business owner. So what does it look like for you? And maybe you were conscious of the way you thought about it, or maybe it was just kind of your natural makeup, but how did you think about going through a, a challenging season of life like that and kind of working your way out of it? It's a great question, man. I don't know if I have a great answer for it. Honestly, I, I think, I think a lot of it is just, um, in the season of life that you're in and, and really trying to dive deep into what's, what's most important. 
Um, and, you know, we have a season for everything. Um, there's a season for playing college baseball. There's a season for getting good grades in school there. Well, you, you should always get good grades in school, <laughs> but you, there's a season for then focusing on what's next in life. Right. And figuring out what, what that next stage is, what that next goal is. Um, and sometimes, you know, what you're currently in doesn't match. Right. And you have to learn when to pivot. Um, and that's, that's big in business. Like, you know, going into the entrepreneur world and the business world, like you could start a business and it could not do well. And if you continue just to like hustle and grind and, you know, pour all into it and you just continue to lose, 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 like you got to stop it at some point, you got to stop the bleeding at some point and you got to pivot. And so that's really important to, to know how to do. Um, I don't know if that's a, a, a learned thing or if it's just, um, you know, trying it and see, see what happens. Uh, for me, I think it was just an internal thing at the time. Like, Hey, baseball, you know, I was, I was a assistant engineer in, in college. It was a tough degree. Uh, I knew that baseball was taken away from that. I knew I had to get good grades to be a pilot. And, you know, I knew I wasn't going to be a pro baseball player. I wasn't that good. Um, it was kind of a season of fun for me, honestly, and it stopped being fun. So I was like, all right, it's, it's time to move on and focus on what's next and what's most important in my life. Mm -hmm. I think that point, just talking about what's most important is really key as you yeah. pivot and, and change seasons of life. And we'll clip up the the part where you're talking about getting grades is always important so you can send to your kids. Yeah, so. thanks, man. Appreciate that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but anyway, yeah, I love that point. I think it's a great point. Um, but talk a little bit about, okay, you, you become uh, really focused on being a systems engineer and making good grades so that you can have the ability to go be a pilot. So eventually you got a chance to do that and you moved to Pensacola. Uh, what was that like transitioning to that? And talk a little bit about going through that that school as rigorous as it is. Yeah. Uh, it was fun. It was exciting. It was challenging. Um, and, uh, it, it was, it was really one of like kind of the, the best seasons of my life, honestly. Uh, we were in, it was all the, you know, all of my buddies from, from the Naval Academy, we all kind of went down to Pensacola around the same, you know, six month time period. Um, the Naval Academy itself is not a, it's not a college. Like you don't have a college experience there. So, they make fun of Naval Academy grads a lot in, in flight school because that's where like we actually have fun. Okay. And so that's where like, you know, you're all of your 21 at that point. And, um, you know, you're in Pensacola. It's a great, great town, great beaches, great bar scene, great single life. And so we had fun, man, honestly. Um, we, we, we figured out how to, how to play hard and work hard all at the same time. Um, and so, you know, it, like I said, fun, exciting, challenging, all those things. Um, exciting because I mean, learning how to fly an aircraft was, was just that. It, I mean, uh, but you know, you had to buckle down and study and, and work hard too. So figuring out what that balance was, was like, um, you know, it was a little bit easier for me cause I'd already been, um, you know, I was that achiever, right? Like, so I could, I could kind of get into that role pretty quickly, uh, and switch, uh, but for others, it was it was challenging. There there are people that didn't know how to uh, buckle down and study when they needed to study, and didn't know how to switch it to go then have fun. And um, so, yeah, it was it was a good time, man. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting how seasons of life kind of prepare you for uh, different places like that. So obviously, being at the Naval Academy, it really probably maybe prepared you in a way maybe you didn't understand at the time, but maybe looking yeah. back, it's easy to see. So sure, man. what about, I mean, you talked about wanting to be a fighter pilot and then you wound up going and flying, um, helicopters. Was that something that you wanted to do or was it disappointing for you after working towards that? Or what was that like? Um, no, man, actually. So, 
uh, the way flight school works uh, for the Navy, it, you're basically ranked in order. And, you know, number one guy in the class uh, puts his his list down of what he wants to get. Um, and then they kind of match that with whether what slots are available. There's not always a jet slot available. There's not always a helicopter slot available. Um, and so, you know, kind of just where you are as rank order and and what's available. Um, I was I was number one in the class. And I, there, there were jet slots available, but I ended up choosing helicopters. Um, there was, you get, you go through different stages of flight school and, um, there's one stage where it's basically like all instrument flying. So you're flying up super high and you're just looking at your instruments. And to me, that was kind of boring. Um, and everyone was like, well, this is what like, you know, flying airplanes like, or flying a jet. Cause you're normally flying really up high and you're just looking at instruments. Yeah. You're going super fast and yeah, you can drop bombs, but most of the time you're just flying on instruments. There's another season, there's another section in flight school where you're flying really low and you're like, you know, flying along the coastline, you're, you're up and down, like going in and, in and out of trees. And I was like, dude, this is awesome. It's like, oh, well, this is what helicopter flying is like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're a little bit slower, but you're doing this all the time. And, and so like, to me, I was just like, man, this is, this is fun flying. Um, and so I, yeah, I chose helicopters and I don't regret a day of it, man. I, I loved flying helicopters. Um, it was, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, absolutely. And talking a little bit about kind of pivot, like you had an idea that you wanted to be a fire pilot, but then all of a sudden you realize, Hey, that's actually not the route I want to go. I want to be a a chopper pilot. And so, and also being the first in your class, you gave yourself the ability to have that uh, distinction as well. Yeah. Yeah, man. So what was it like? I mean, you were a pilot, what, what uh, helicopter are you flying? And then we'll kind of dive into a little bit of real estate as well. Cause I know you started investing early. Yeah, man. Um, yeah. So, uh, MH 60 Sierra, uh, Nighthawk, uh, was, was the helicopter. Uh, I was uh, stationed out in San Diego for, for my entire uh, time as a helicopter pilot. Um, it, we, we primarily were, um, it had a couple different mission sets, but, uh, we were a, a logistics helicopter. So we would go out with, uh, like the aircraft carrier battle group. We would typically get, uh, stationed on, on like a supply ship or like an amphib ship. And really our main role was, uh, taking people and cargo to and from ships around the entire battle group. Um, and so every day, you know, you'd get up and you'd have a mission of, you know, taking people and what, whatever cargo bombs, whatever. And then another mission set was called a vertical replenishment. So like a supply ship would go into port, they'd get all the food, they'd get all the bombs, they'd get all the bullets and they'd come back out to sea. And then we, as the helicopter would basically transport all that stuff to all the other ships. And, um, a lot of them were really, really heavy. So you basically lift it up out, you know, out of your aircraft and move it over. And, um, that was a ton of fun. We also got into, um, uh, medical evacuations. So, um, I was one of the first, uh, groups that went and got deployed over in Northern Kuwait and Southern Iraq. And we were doing medical evacuations, uh, during, during the war. Um, you know, so anyone that would get hurt, um, out in Iraq and in Northern Kuwait, they would call for a medical evacuations. Then we would get called we were on 24-hour duty we were on alert cruise and we would go uh fly in and and pick up uh people and so that that in itself was uh very challenging uh scary at times um but also very rewarding as well so i had a had a great tour as as a helicopter pilot and then became an instructor afterwards to stay in san diego absolutely well going into that experience a little bit how important i was just going to ask you how important is training and making decisions because sometimes you're in situations like that you don't have a lot of time to think you have to be instinctual and you have to kind of rely on training and then also just on your natural makeup. Um, yeah. 
talk a little bit about making decisions and, and your experiences as you have to deal with situations that are pretty critical de decisions. Yeah, man. I mean, I think, I think uh, a lot of it just comes from practice. Um, and they, and they teach you that, I mean, they teach you that in the Naval Academy. Um, but they also, they, they're big on it in flight school. Um, they call it chair flying. So basically like, you know, they would teach you how to, um, before a flight, you basically, you're sitting in a chair, right. And you would, you would like go in your mind and, and practice the maneuvers. They would, you would go in your mind and practice all the, uh, emergency procedures. You had to have all the emergency preach. I mean, you still do. You have to have all the emergency procedures in, in your aircraft, like memorized. And you have to know like where all the buttons are and what to do. And you, you practice and you practice and you practice and you chair fly and you go through it in your mind and you go through the maneuvers until it's just become like complete memorization. And, so that way, when you are in that situation in real life, you have everything memorized. You know it by heart because you've done it and practiced it so many times that it just comes instinctually. Um, and, you know, so that piece of it, like knowing the buttons to push, knowing the, what to do for, in like an emergency situation, um, that kind of became, you know, instinctively. The, the decision-making um, was... I mean, it, it's just uh, a lot of it was just intuitive, you know, like, all right, you got to just kind of, all right, if I do this, you got to go that way. If I do this, you got to do this way. What are the pros and cons of it? And you got to make a decision and go and then just deal with it as it comes. Right. Uh, and again, kind of that, just the leadership that, you, that you're in, ingrained in, in, in the Navy in itself uh, are all just lessons on, on how to practice that you practice it every day. Um, and when you make a decision and it's the wrong decision, then you, then you, you know, you deal with it and you move on you make another decision and just can, it's just continuously making decisions to try to get to the best result. I think that's a great point because it's like having a bias towards action and making decisions because sometimes uh, indecision is an action. And so it's the worst. Yeah. And it's the worst. So, yeah. but going back to that, sometimes you make a decision and it, it might not turn out exactly how you wanted to. Right. So maybe people could consider it a failure but you have to yeah. get back up and make even more. And then over time you build a kind of a persistence towards action and making decisions. And over time you can kind of get better at making those decisions, hopefully. Yeah. And I think, you know, knowing and understanding that uh, failure is not always bad. Um, a failure actually can be really good. Um, and, and having that growth mindset and understanding that um, when you fail, you take that, you learn from it and then you become better for it. Uh, and the more you do that, honestly, the more you fail, the better you become. Uh, and, you know, if, if you look at any, you know, successful person in life, whatever, whatever success means to you, um, they've probably failed a ton. And it's those people that don't try, that don't push themselves, that don't make those hard decisions. Those are the people that, that truly don't succeed um, because they're not willing to, to put themselves out there and to make those hard decisions and to challenge themselves knowing that they're probably going to fail. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And going back to that point, like what if people are sitting there listening to our conversation and saying, yeah, you can say all you want about failure, but how, how important is it creating a place where you can fail? Because when you're a pilot, maybe people listen, well, you can't fail when you're a pilot because it's life or death sometimes. Yeah. But how important is it creating a, an environment where you can to learn from and then get better at making those decisions and, and failing, I guess. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's huge, man. It's huge. And I think, um, you know, being a leader in that environment, cultivating that, um, is incredibly important. Um, you know, 
you know, and I'm, and I'm thinking of you know, now as a dad, I'm thinking about that. Like, how do I show up for my kids that way? How do I show up to cultivate growth and to cultivate a mindset that it is okay to try something hard and fail and then learn from it? Cause a lot of times as a parent, you're like, you're like worried about your kids. You know, you're that helicopter parent. You don't want them to get hurt or, you know, you don't want them to fail in anything because you love them so much. Right. But honestly, I think like showing that true love is actually allowing them to, to get into situations and not like, not go and grab them. Right. And like, let them have that experience of, of falling or getting hurt or failing at something. And I think as a leader in business in the military, like that's what you have to do. Right. That's what you, you have to allow people to fail in order for them to then grow and succeed um, later. Absolutely. And you touched on you became a, a pilot uh, C-40s, right? C-40s. Yep. That's like a Boeing 737 in the civilian world. Absolutely. Yeah. After after being a helicopter pilot and then you transitioned um, out of the military and retired and are in real estate investing full time right now. Talk yeah. a little bit about your experiences early on kind of getting started in investing and why did you get started in investing while you were still active duty military? Um, so, so if if you know anything about me, I, I'm I'm an action taker. I'm a doer, and and so a lot of times I will I will take action on things without uh, all the information at hand. And so that's that's what I did in the investing world. Uh, that always that's not always the best thing uh, <laughs> in the investing world because sometimes you can lose a lot of money, which I which I have done, um, but. But uh, I, I've always been kind of an entrepreneur at heart. Um, you know, growing up, both of my parents, uh, my, my mom and my dad were entrepreneurs. My my dad started his own businesses. My mom started her own businesses. So I saw that uh, growing up as a kid. Um, and, and I knew I kind of wanted to, you know, being a, a leader in the military. And I knew that, you know, owning a business would, would probably be the direction that I go in life after the military. Um, just kind of growing up in that world. Um, but, but, uh, in flight school, uh, a buddy of mine had bought, uh, some land in, uh, in Alabama, like on the, on the Alabama side of, of the line up there in Florida. And he was telling me about it and he was doing that over and over again. He had done it a couple of times. He had bought them and sold them. He was basically like flipping land and being the entrepreneur mindset that I, that I, that I had, I was like, Oh, that sounds really cool. I'll go do it. Right no clue what I was doing, but I just, I was like, Hey, who'd you, who's your realtor? And so he connected me with the realtor, went and met him. And he showed me this raw piece of land, uh, in a new development in orange beach, Alabama. Um, and they were, they were, uh, selling it for $50,000. Uh, I could get financing, put 10% down. I put $5,000 down, uh, on my low income as a, as a brand new officer in the Navy. Uh, but I had a little bit of savings, um, put aside, I was like, hey, I'll well, try it. So I, I I did that, bought the piece of land, um, sat on it all through flight school. A huge hurricane come came through the Gulf Coast and like wiped out like all of it. Uh, and I thought, you know, my my investment was was gone. Um, everything kind of got started rebuilding, and um, that same realtor reached out to me about month nine, and he's like, hey, uh, your lot is the last piece of land available in this in this new development. Uh, and someone wants to buy it to build their house on it. They want to pay you $95,000. I bought it for 50. Nine months later, I wanted, they, they wanted to buy it for $95,000. And I was like, this is awesome. <laughs> and so, I mean, from that point on, man, I was, I was hooked. I was hooked on real estate. I was hooked on, you know, business and entrepreneurship. Um, and uh, I, from, from, from there on, 
any time that I didn't have to focus on studying for for flight school for for military, I was I was studying real estate. I was studying business. I just started devouring information, just reading books, listening to podcasts, whatever I could, um, just start learning. And um, after my flight school, I got stationed in San Diego, and I took that money that I made from that land flip and uh, went and bought uh, a really expensive house in San Diego that I shouldn't have bought uh, at the time. Uh, me and a buddy of mine from the Naval Academy partnered on it. We split it. It was in Pacific Beach, right in San Diego. Beautiful spot, um, worth way more than again what I what we could afford at the time. But it was during that period where like they were just like handing out loans like candy. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was in 2005 when we bought it, um, and then the market crashed in 2008 and 2009. Uh, so learned a huge lesson uh, in that in that ordeal. But um, yeah. yeah, that was my start in in real estate. Yeah, that's interesting. Start first one, he gets hit by a hurricane, and the next one has gets hit by the 2008 crisis. Yeah, so yeah. you had a couple big big hits there, but they turned out, you know, to be really well. The the one in the, the land deal in Alabama turned to be a great deal, right? Yeah, obviously. It did. And then yeah. um, I don't know about the one in in uh, San Diego, but at the same time, no matter what it was, you're learning because you're taking the action and exactly, you're man. trying to devour information and learn, and you're around people that are doing it as well. I'm sure and learning from yep. them. And that's a huge point, man. Like, you know, beyond just uh, just you know consuming information, uh, I was taking action on that information, and I was also surrounding myself around people that were also doing it at a much higher level than me. So, any chance I got, I was going to you know real estate meetups. You know, there's there's meetups all over the place. So you know, you're I was going to those you know week weekly nightly um, group sessions where they'd have like guest speakers come in, and you just get around. You just put yourself in a room of much higher level people than yourself and you just learn and you ask questions and you connect and you talk and you make, you know, good, good connections and you network. And uh, that was just, it was huge for me, man. Like I I was going to those on a weekly basis, just going to those meetups. I'd go to, I'd pay for conferences. I'd, I'd go to, you know, I'd take courses, whatever I could just to just devour information and just improve, you know, in any, any of those fields I could. And, uh, and I just continued to try. I would learn something and then I would take action on it and I would try it. And so that's not always, again, that's not always good either. Like I was, I was like the, sh- I had the shiny object syndrome, you know, I, I, I learned something and be like, Ooh, that sounds really cool. I'll go do that. And I'd try it and it would either be okay or, or, or it would fail. And I'd learn something else. Ooh, I'd, I'd go do that. Right. Yeah. So I've tried about every single niche of real estate possibly uh, okay. out there. Um, and you know, good and bad, right? Like I know a lot about real estate. I know a lot about every niche of real estate. Um, but going back, if I would have probably focused on just one, I probably would be a lot farther along, uh, the journey than I am now. So, Mm -hmm. but I think what you talked about trying and taking action and learning and then trying and taking action and learning, and you're not just taking action and doing something and it fails, you're, you're applying what you're learning from maybe the failure or the success and then stacking it to the next thing, to the next thing, to yeah. the next thing. And also to the point you were seeking out people ahead of you and you were putting yourself in environments that enabled you to learn from people that are way ahead of you in those particular areas that you're trying to learn and grow from. But real quickly, an idea that came in my mind as you're talking about action, what do you think really helps people that maybe don't have a bias towards action? Because obviously you do. Yeah. How can you get better about, you know, instead of 
you know, I got a lot of books behind me. And if I read all these, these books, what good does it do me if I don't apply any of it? I'm just consuming right. information and not putting it back out. How, in your opinion, do you get better at taking action and what maybe are some steps that people can take to get better at doing that? And then maybe even putting themselves in situations to be around people that will encourage them to take action. Yeah, for sure, man. I am um, unfortunately, I think, um, right now in, in our world, we have a lot of information out there. I mean, there's so much information out there, right? Like there's books, podcasts, websites, mm-hmm. YouTube, free everything. Um, and there's no reason why like you shouldn't be successful because you can just get all the information that you possibly could want. But, but there are a lot of people that don't take action on any of it. I think, I think um, there's two, there's two big reasons why people don't take action. One is uh, they don't know, they don't have a why. They don't have a purpose. They don't have uh, a meaning that they've figured out for their life what it's all about. They've never taken the time to really sit down, journal, write out, like find their why. There's a book from Simon Sinek, Find Your Why. And that's the start of it. But like really reflect on what that is. Like, what did God make you for? Right. I don't think a lot of people do that. I don't think a lot of people sit and like, just reflect on that because it's hard. Like, like, I don't, I don't, I don't know what my why is with my purpose. Sure. Um, and there's some exercises for that, but, but just sitting down and thinking about that. So that's one. Um, two, I don't think people um, get around other people that, can help them along the way, like that, that motivate them, that pick them up when they've fallen, that have uh, that have been there already, that can give you advice. I mean, it's not just listening to a podcast. It's not just listening to reading a book. It's actually getting around a community of people that are like-minded, that love you, that want to help you grow, succeed, pick you up, push you, um, that um, that will help guide you to that why right um and hold you accountable to it as well because that's hard too being held accountable to things can be challenging like sometimes you don't want to be called out for your inaction but if you have someone in your life that will do that for you that's going to push you over that that hill to to get you there um so you know figuring out that why reflecting on it and then putting yourself around a lot of people that are going to they're going to push you and motivate you and hold you accountable to that those are those are what you should really get into. Uh, for me, uh, that was putting myself into like mastermind groups. I ended up uh, paying for mastermind groups, and that was a big hump for me, like yeah. to actual pay money to put myself in a room filled with people that are a higher level than me uh, was was challenging, and it's a mindset shift for me for sure. Uh, but now I'm all about it, man. Like I started masterminds. I have my own mastermind that I run. I'm in other masterminds. I get coaching. I coach others. Uh, and so like just that coaching and that mentorship and the masterminds getting around people is, is huge for me. Absolutely. And I've heard you touch on that a little bit before because it was something that you didn't necessarily like, why would I pay to get in a group? But at the same yeah. time, when you do that, you're surrounded by people that have a like-mindedness or a single focus on what they want to do as well. Yeah. And then also too, there's a lot of people above you that can teach you from their experiences so that 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 timeline, that gap right there can get shortened because you're learning from people ahead of you. So I think that's great. And it kind of goes into, you're obviously investing in real estate and you partnered up, I think with your buddy from college, right? 
and yeah. then started you guys' own business. Talk a little bit about that. Yes. Um, so, so David Gutierrez, he's my business partner. We were college roommates at the Neil Academy for all four years, uh, which is very unlikely uh, for, for it to happen. A lot of times they'll split you up and move you to different places, but um, God works in mysterious ways and he kept us together. So it was Grazier and Gutierrez. We just got paired up at, at first, you know, plebe summer there and we stayed ever since. Um, but yeah, so we, you know, I had, I had been investing in real estate you know, from very early on, uh, starting in flight school, kind of all through, I bought houses, you know, different locations, tried new things like I was talking about. Um, we both got stationed in Italy at the same time. Uh, we were both in Naples, Italy together. And it was, it was a huge blessing because we started, you know, hanging out, our families were hanging out again. You know, we, we were always talking and being, you know, best friends, but we were actually in the same location for the first time. And, we started talking about business. We started talking about what we were going to do afterwards. And we had both separately purchased some, what they call turnkey real estate. Uh, and I do like big air quotes here because <laughs> there's a whole, there's a whole range of turnkey, right? Um, well, both of our turnkey models that we dove into were bad. We both had terrible experiences. Uh, David had a experience that was like fraudulent and he caught this company in a terrible lie, um, was going to take them to court. They ended up settling in the form of a, about a $20,000 check uh, to David. But through that experience, we kind of started comparing notes. Uh, he ended up having to basically fire everybody on, on that team that he was using and, and out of due necessity, go find a team. Um, we were both in Naples, Italy at the time. So he was trying to build out a team in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, where he had purchased property. Um, and through that process, uh, I had bought some property in Birmingham, Alabama. You know, they told me it was like in a C class neighborhood. It was in like the, like Dest of classes, <laughs> lowest, like it was in an F. Yeah. Yeah. It was F like gunshots, like bullet holes in the walls, terrible tenants, terrible property management. Um, my roof collapsed like year two of owning it. Oh. Um, so yeah, bad, bad, bad stuff there. Well, we just decided, Hey, you know what? We've been doing real estate. He had been buying real estate too. I've been buying real estate. We have a lot of lessons learned. He had built out a team. We started telling the team what we wanted to do. We wanted to buy more property. We wanted to do it right. Um, and we knew that we wanted to really start a business after getting out of the Navy. We were at about, um, where were we at? Like year 15. Um, and so we started kind of building out this real estate. I started buying some property. We used that team that he had, he had built. I started buying some rental properties. We started fi fixing up houses. We started telling other people about it. Other people, other people wanted to buy those houses from us and just word of mouth spread. We started buying more houses. We started using private lending. We were telling people, friends and family that, you know, we were using their money to go buy and rehab properties. We were giving them a return on their money. And then we were selling those properties and we were just turning them. And we just built out this turnkey business all based on all the lessons that we had learned, uh, you know, bad lessons learned. Uh, and then we put our kind of our Christian faith and spin on it too. And, and the core values that we have behind it, just knowing that we were always going to do right. Integrity was always first. We kind of came up with core values. Um, we we wanted to to give, you know, that that uh, that core value of giving that came from my mom. Um, David had it too. We knew we always wanted to tithe. We knew that we wanted to create a business that would serve in a higher purpose uh, that God had called us for. So we called it Storehouse Three Ten, which comes from Malachi Three Ten in the Bible. Um, so the ten a tenth of every house that we sold, a 10th of all of our businesses would always go to a nonprofit organization. Um, and from there, we started kind of building out this, the storehouse brand. Um, we we have Storehouse Retain Ventures, which was essentially a flipping turnkey business. 
we had store now we have storehouse partners which is a lending uh, business we created a fund um, we have storehouse capital which owns uh, rental properties and then we started storehouse mastermind um, to to build out a mastermind group so um yeah man that's that's a lot there yeah, well, even just talking a little bit about your friendship, obviously, you guys had a common interest in real estate, and then obviously it grew. But one thing that I had written down is you were telling people as well, you're letting people know of what you guys were doing. And then that also creates interest because sometimes people don't know what you're doing. And the more you get out there and tell people, the more it enables you to have more opportunities sometimes. So I think that's really key. How did your background because both of you all were in the military? How did your background being in the military help you as a business owner? in your opinion. Yeah, that's a great question, man. Um, I think, I think military members are excellent business people, um, because we get put into situations in the military that we have no idea how to do. And you just got to go figure it out. Um, and especially in leadership roles, like throughout my 20 years of military service, every time I moved to a new job, every time I moved to a new duty station, I was immediately in charge of people but I was in charge of people that knew way more about that job than I did. Like I was in charge of people who were fixing engines on helicopters. I knew kind of how an, an engine worked, but I didn't know how to fix an engine. Right. Uh, and so, but I was supposed to lead those guys in fixing engines. And so throughout your military career, like you are going to be put in situations where you don't know how to do what you're supposed to be doing. And, and you just figure it out. You adapt, you overcome, you flex, uh, you make those decisions, whether right or wrong, but you're going to make it anyways and stick to it. That's great for business. Um, and, you know, because there are a lot of things in business that you don't know how to do, but you're going to either ask somebody, you're going to figure it out, you're going to try, you're going to make a decision. It might fail, but you're going to learn from it. You're going to pivot. You know, do all these things in business that you've had to do in the military, you know, ever since you started. So I think, yeah, I think military uh, is a great uh prime uh, for getting into business. Mm -hmm. And as you're talking about all those experiences that you learned throughout the military, I think the word that comes to my mind is just having a humility and understanding like, hey, you're not the guy who knows it all. You're willing to yeah, learn man. from people, but also having confidence in yourself. So it's like, I love the term confident humility. You have to yeah. have that to be a, a great leader. And so that does probably right into your real estate venture. What has it been like for you now? You guys have been running for a while now. What do you guys consistently do on a daily basis? And, and kind of yeah. what does it look like from day to day? Yeah. So, um, you know, we, we had some aha moments and, and continuous pivots, uh, you know, even after starting the, the real estate stuff, um, you know, we were, we were hustling. Uh, we were, we were trying to create a business that we could walk right into after leaving the military and, and not skip a beat. We at about uh, three years, uh, from, from being out of the Navy, uh, so that was like 2019 ish. Um, you know, we hit the ground running and we started building all these systems and these processes and we were getting private lenders and we were flipping houses and turning them. And we got to where we were doing about 50 houses a year, um, 2020, we did, I think about 50, 52, something like that. And what we ended up finding out was like that in itself was a full-time job. It was a lot. And David was the commanding officer of a cyber command. I was the executive officer basically like the second in command of, of a 700 person reserve center in Colorado. So we had those as full-time leadership position jobs. And we had this full-time job of flipping houses, 50 houses a year. <laughs> and honestly, it was too much, man. Um, and we, we kind of had this moment of like, we're basically neglecting the most important people in our lives, the most 
uh, important things in our life. You know, uh, I we weren't going to church. We weren't. I wasn't doing a morning routine and reading the Bible. I wasn't spending time with my kids. I was on my phone. I was on my email. I was answering emails. I was, you know, fighting fires uh, in the real estate world and in the military world. Yeah. Um, I wasn't paying any attention to my wife. I wasn't paying any attention to my kids. Um, and my health was going down the drains. Uh, and all, all these things uh, were happening because I was putting so much focus and effort on on building this business to have something to walk into when I got out of the military. And I kind of had just this aha moment of like, wh what's this all for? What's this all for if I lose the most important things in my life? Uh, and so we took a hard stop. We stopped flipping houses. We took a look at like what we want to do. Um, and in 2021, we took a, a pretty big pivot. Uh, we, we ended up deciding to stop, um, flipping houses in general. Uh, all the properties that were currently in, like had already been purchased in the line of being flipped and rehabbed. We decided to just keep them all for ourselves. Um, so we basically just finished the rehabs. Uh, we got big commercial uh, loans, portfolio loans. We did big refinances and kept all the properties for ourselves in 2021 to build out a portfolio. Uh, and then we stopped. We stopped uh, flipping. We started. We took took all of our private lenders. Uh, we built a fund. Um, so we took all the private money. We put it all together and pooled it. And now we just worked out a deal with our team in Milwaukee, where like we're just the lenders. So we just lend on the properties that they're flipping. We don't deal with any of that stuff anymore. And then we can get back to focus on what we, you know, knew was most important in our lives as we transitioned out. Because the transition in itself from military to civilian world is hard. Yeah. Um, and so we want to really focus in on being present with our families, being present with with in our faith, being present and getting back and being healthy, uh, having fun, having friends, all these things. What we were hoping for in the real estate world that didn't really come to fruition was uh, a community. We wanted to really build out community and relationships. And, um, it, we, we made some friends, we, we made some great connections, but at the same time, the real estate world, you probably know this, it's very transactional, right? Like we would sell a house to somebody and they just wanted another house. Like they didn't want to really have like a, a connection and a love for us and a friendship. And they were just ready for the next good deal. Yeah. And if the get that, if that good deal goes bad, well, then they're pointing fingers. Right. And, that's just not what we wanted, man. So that pivot was really huge for us, but we were still missing that relationship piece, that connection piece. And so that's why we started focusing in on, on masterminds again, because we had been in some masterminds. It was huge for us. Uh, there's, there's a lot of business masterminds out there. There's a lot of real estate masterminds out there. Um, but there's not really that many masterminds where we're focused on our faith, our family, our friends, our fun, uh, you know, all our health, like all those things yeah. that, get pushed by the wayside because it happened to me. I did it. I pushed all those things by the wayside to get back at what's most important in life. And so we started building out this trialhouse mastermind. So we're really focused on that right now. Um, we're way more passive in the real estate world. Um, we've, we've syndicated a few bigger kind of commercial properties, but using that fund, using the, the, the networks and the people and the, and the money that we've already created through the turnkey world, um, and, uh, now we're just focused really big and heavy on, on the storehouse mastermind and kind of getting back and focus on what's again, most important in life. Yeah. And I think that's a great point about talking about the two things you mentioned earlier about understanding your why and being able to pivot. Right. So that's yeah. what you're reevaluating. Talk a little bit about faith and, and your family and just how that's evolved and what does it mean in your opinion to be a great husband and father? Yeah, man. I mean, uh, faith, faith is everything to me. Um, 
Yeah, first thing in the morning, I wake up every morning and, and I, I read my Bible. It's the first thing I do every single morning. I read my Bible and pray and journal. Um, it's a part of my morning routine. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, it's been a journey for me for sure. I, I, uh, grew up in, in, in Texas where, you know, going to church was, was definitely a thing, but you'd go to church on Sundays and then you'd like cuss and drink and, you know, act like a heathen on Monday. Uh, there was a lot, (laughs) there was a lot of people that like, I was like, are you really a Christian? Uh, so I saw that growing up. Um, and so for a while I, I, I didn't really, uh, I kind of walked away from it. Um, but, uh, I kind of got back into it, you know, with, with David, David was, um, a, de- a devout believer and uh and then through going to iraq uh getting getting bombed on you know like dealing with with death and destruction and all that kind of stuff really kind of got me back and focused on my faith and so faith is the most important thing in my life family is the, is the second most important thing in my life um and you know i now i i try to make every decision in my life based on how that impacts that Right. Um, and, uh, you know, how, like how I show up every day, how does that impact my faith and how does that impact my family, my business decisions? How does that impact my faith and how does that impact my family? Uh, So everything that I do now, um, is, is just solely focused on on that. Uh, Because honestly, man, like you can make all the money in the world. You can have all the materialistic things, uh, in the world that, that you can, but if you aren't, uh, living for infinity nothing else matters man mm. um you only have a finite amount of time on 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 the earth you have an infinite amount of time up in heaven so if you're not focused there and if you're not focused uh you know on your family businesses will come and go wealth will come and go materialistic things will come and go but uh if your family isn't there then what else do you have to live for yeah well said that's uh important legacy so Real quickly, as we kind of wind down, I've got a little yeah. fire round for you. So we can just say a sentence and you can finish with a word or sentence, however you feel led. All right, cool. So you can do anything if. You put your mind to it. That's kind of cliche, but I think it's true. Discipline means. Freedom. Vaca- favorite vacation spot. Honestly, anywhere with my family. Integrity is. Acquired. Do you have a favorite book? Uh. I did. I recently read one that's now my favorite, uh, Ruthless Elimination of Hurry oh, by John Mark Comer. Great one. Amazing book. I, I literally just read it, um, and it's 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 changed my life. Mm, that's a great book. It all comes down to? Faith, family, and freedom. Awesome. We're done with the fire round real quickly. The final two questions I have for you. The first one is, is there a certain piece of best advice you've ever received, and what is it? Yeah, man. I, I thought about this question a lot. And honestly, uh, I got a piece of advice two days ago that, again, I think has uh, been pretty impactful to me. And uh, it's a pretty simple statement. Um, I've been kind of wrestling with a lot of stuff in, in business and um, and coaching and masterminds and stuff like that. And, and uh, one of my buddies said to me, self-worth does not equal self-ish. Self-worth does not equal self-ish. Um, so – Again, you know, I, I'm I'm a giver. Uh, I contribution to me is like the highest level of of human need for me, and I give, give, give. But a lot of times, I give to other people and I don't give to myself. Mm. And so that self worth um, is not being selfish. And so that that's been uh, really impactful for me. Yeah, that's some great advice. Well, the final question I have for you: This podcast is called Building Excellence. What does Building Excellence mean to you? 
Yeah, man. Building excellence to me is finding your purpose and then taking massive daily action to create the meaning in your life for that purpose. Man, that's great. I love it. I love it. Well, Stu, thank you so much for coming on the show. But first and foremost, thanks for your service. Thanks for yeah, what man. you've done for a country. Yeah, you're welcome. Uh, we really appreciate that. But also, too, what you're doing with Storehouse and giving back and making not just an impact in business, but an impact for the right reasons like you talked about. So thanks for doing that. If people wanted to learn more about the mastermind on your website, all the stuff you guys are doing, what's the best way to do that? Yeah, so we do have a master, or we do have a website, storehouse310.com. Uh, we have a podcast itself. There's a link on there. That's called Filling the Storehouse. It's about faith, family, and freedom. Um, and if you don't mind, um, could I give out like a free resource uh, to absolutely. your listeners? Yeah, okay. absolutely. Uh, so if so, this is this is an exercise that we went through. Uh, again, very impactful to me. It's it's just really um, it kind of helps with that that why figuring out what your why is, um, and it's really figuring out what your role is in life, what your role is as a as a parent, what your role is as a husband, what your role is as a business leader, a friend, and it's just a simple exercise of just defining what that is, and then diving into that, and then taking action to to calendarize it, right? Like actually putting things on the calendar uh, to, to put in place what that, what that role is. So if you go to storehouse310.com backslash roles, um, you can get that free PDF. And um, it's, it's a great exercise uh, and it will really help you kind of identify what your role is in life. Absolutely. Well, definitely check that out. I'm, I'm about to go do that here in a second. So yeah. awesome, Stu. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. Re really appreciate it. Absolutely, man. This was really fun. Hey everyone, it's Bailey Miles. Thanks again so much for tuning in. We hope you found value in the show. And if you enjoyed it, we would really appreciate you sharing the show with a friend, subscribing on Apple or Spotify podcasts, writing a quick review, or leaving a five-star rating. When you do that, it really helps get the message out and allows more people to hear these stories and help them build excellence in their life, leadership, and legacy. Now, if you have any questions, thoughts, or ideas, I'd love to hear from you. You can reach out to me via email. It's bailey at baileymiles.com. Follow us on social. We're on all the different social platforms, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Or check out our website at baileymiles.com. Uh, once again, I'd love to hear from you, so definitely do that. And then thanks again for joining me on this journey. And remember, life begins at the end of your comfort zone.